our place in this universe is no accident. And the reason why is because God is the one who has planned. God is the one who created. And God is the one who has established everything that is good. And so therefore our purpose and our relationship that we enjoy and we engage in have all been ordained by a loving and holy creator. But in our country today, sadly, many are ignorant of what a godly family looks like. They, they really don't have much of a clue of how a family should function. And the reason why is because people have lost their vision. They have lost sight of how, how family members should work together. They have lost sight how they should stay together. And they have lost sight how they should take care of one another. And so as we look across our country, across the land, across the globe for that matter, we see that our nation is littered uh, with unloving homes and with broken families. And if we are not careful ourselves, then we can be lulled by our own surroundings. We can be lulled by our worldly culture's thinking, and we might quietly just kind of shrug our shoulders and, and just accept it as it is. That abnormalities and brokenness, that's just the norm, and so it's all okay. And that should never be the case. We should never look at the family unit through the distorted lenses of our world. But rather, we should start to understand God's vision for us, God's vision for the family, which may mean sometimes for individuals or for families, for that matter, it may mean that we have to restore our vision with our great physician's prescription. I want to begin by reading a few verses from the book of Genesis. Let's start at the beginning. As we begin to see some insight into what God intended from the very beginning. So in Genesis chapter 1, in Genesis chapter 1, it states... God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. You turn perhaps a page or two in your Bible, and you look in chapter 2, and it says, The Lord God fashioned into woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and they should become one flesh. And then we turn over to the fourth chapter. As you look there, it's just the very beginning of that chapter. Where it says, now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And so we have here recorded for us the very first family. Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel. And when you read those early chapters, we see it was a family that had problems. 
some very serious problems that occurred. But God had an ideal, though. God had an ideal that he intended for man to uphold. And I would suggest to you, the first point I want you to think about is this, that God's foundation for the family is oneness. A oneness that is intended to be upheld by love. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the principle of two becoming one in marriage is much more than simply the physical union of husband and wife. Clearly, that is part of it. Clearly, that is intended. But the oneness that God has in mind is so much more than that. God takes two people. God joins two into one. And as Matthew says, and that oneness is not to be severed. It is not to be torn asunder. It is a oneness that is a blending, that is a uniting of the wills, of the hearts, and of the minds of a man and woman in a divine covenant. Any married couple realizes how different you really are as the years come and go. Two very different people, not only by gender, but very different emotionally, very different mentally. And so you got these two very different people that are committed to living and to working together in harmony. I would suggest to you it is like different notes harmonizing together to make beautiful music. And that's what a man and woman joined in marriage to be. And that's God's foundation for the family. It is a oneness upheld by love where we see each other as truly part of ourselves. That we are part of the whole. Two individuals determined to help each other go in the same direction. Two people who are yoked together in order to pull together life's burdens. Because they come along the way. And so here you have this ideal of oneness that was from the very beginning in God's plan, in God's establishment of this relationship, and it requires love. It's a commandment. And you can turn over to a passage like Ephesians 5, verse 25, where it says, Husbands, love your wives. Once you marry, if you fall out of love, tough, love her anyway. Because you're to love her just as Christ has loved his church. And then over in Titus 2, verse 4, where wives are also instructed about love, and where they are taught here, wives, affectionately love your husbands. It's a commandment because the oneness that God has in mind requires love. It, it, is, what, it is the glue that holds it together. And it's the kind of love that is, that is seen throughout the Bible, not only in the marital relationship, but in all relationships that are going to be good. In Romans chapter 13, verse 10, where it says, love does no harm to a neighbor. And so it's a love that seeks to do no harm. Will we make mistakes? Will we say things we shouldn't say? Will we do sometimes things we shouldn't do? Yes. And that we don't say that to excuse ourselves. But we make mistakes. But that's not our intent. Love does not seek to hurt the other. It is a selfless love. A selfless love that considers each other's interests, each other's needs, as talked about there in Philippians 2. 
We're there. He's talking about the brotherly relationship. But once it's based on love and that same kind of love that should be seen in our marriages. For it, is, it is an interest and a concern for each other. Where we put the other one before ourselves. Or as Ephesians chapter, five, chapter 4 verse 30 talks, 32 talks about. Where it talks about how we're in, once again, the brother relationship of being in Christ. Where we're to be tenderhearted. We're to be forbearing. We're to be forgiving. That's true with marriage as well. And so the foundation for the family that God in the beginning planned. The ideal that he wants us to be able to enjoy for the rest of our days is, is a family that is built and, and grows on the foundation of oneness that's upheld by love. But God also seeks godly offspring from that oneness. It has always been his intention from the beginning of time that children are to be conceived in and children are to be born to a married couple. That's God's ideal. That's God's design. That's God's vision for humanity. And God fears recognize that. Those who believe in God, those who fear God, those who love God, they recognize that the family as designed by God is a great blessing. It's a blessing from the Creator. And so we see that, you know, for example, in a, a couple passages. In, in Psalm 128, where the, the psalmist there says in verses 1 through 4, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy, it will be well with you. And it goes right into talking about the family then. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Psalm 127 also talks about the relationship of the home and family. Verse 3, Behold, children are a gift, a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in, a, in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak for their enemies in the gate. So God not only has designed the family to experience a oneness that is upheld and sustained by love, but it is God's design that there be godly offspring that come from that relationship. God's ideal arrangement is that it sanctifies the children in that godly relationship. In Malachi chapter 2, it's a passage where God is speaking to the Israelites of old during the remnant period, where God is actually rebuking, rebuking the people of God for unlawfully and unlovingly divorcing their spouses. And so there in chapter 2, it talks about that in Malachi. It was interesting, in this context, though, you find God connects this unlawful divorcing to the fact that it impacts the children as well. It's going to affect the kids. And it will give greater occasion for ungodliness. You know, and so you see here in, in Malachi chapter 2, for, you know, verse 15, but not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. You know, what's been going on has not been according to the Spirit. 
And he goes on to ask, what did the one do while he was seeking godly offspring? If you're seeking godly offspring, he says, take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. I find the issue, the connection that God makes there. That if God's vision of the family is not there, that not only will there be oneness enjoyed, but God's vision is that there would be godly offspring, that there would be a sanctified relationship. And one who possesses the Spirit of God, one who is being led by the Spirit of God, respects God's laws, will respect his wife, will respect his kids, and will not selfishly put away his wife and in turn injure his children in the process. The Apostle Paul also makes a similar connection between this idea of God's arrangement, what the ideal is, and how it sanctifies the children. Sets them apart. Over in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you look there in verse 14. We're obviously not going to discuss the context of the chapters. We just want to bring out this one little point where the connection that God makes with his ideal vision for humanity. He goes on to say, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her husband through her believing. You know, husband. For otherwise, otherwise, so the point is don't put away your spouses. He says, otherwise, your children are unclean, but now they are holy. In an honorable union, in a union where God joins the two and makes them one, in an honorable union of a man and a woman, children are not only legitimate, but it's more than that. Children are holy in that relationship. They have been sanctified in that relationship because such is of God. And so the blessing of children is intended to be shared and it's intended to be nurtured in the goodness of marital oneness. That's God's vision for humanity. But also we understand as part of this vision is this fact that the family is to be a haven, a haven where family members are nourished, are fed are nurtured with God's word. Home and family are not only ordained by God, home and family are to be God-centered. They are to be God-governed on a daily basis. When Jesus was being tempted by Satan there, as recorded by Matthew, one of his responses to the temptation that he was facing is this. When he says, man should not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That principle is true not only in the moment of temptation. That principle is true every day of our life. That we are not to live by bread alone, but we are to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Sadly, in our society today, in our society, in our culture, sadly, too much emphasis is, is placed on the physical well-being or the comfort of the family. Now, there's a place for those things to be looked after and to be maintained. But that's not the most important thing of the family. The most, you know, one of the most important things of the family is making sure we're being fed with God's word. If you go back to Psalm 127 real quick again and look there in verse 1, the psalm actually begins with this statement. Unless the, the Lord builds the house, 
They labor in vain who build it. How true that is. A family that is not building on God's word. A family that is not building on God's word, but rather is building on the sands of the world. They will not be able to withstand the storms that are coming. There will be storms that every family will have to face. One of one kind or another. And if we're not building on God's word, we do not have a foundation to, 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 to sustain us. To keep us going. And so therefore, we have admonishment, we have instruction from God. You think about back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where you have God talking to the nation of Israel. And telling them how important it is that his word fill their lives. His word Fill their dwellings. And so you look back and you read those very familiar verses again of Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 7, where he, he's instructing you know, the nation. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. What's the point? God's word is to fill us every day, every moment. It's going to be ingrained as part of our daily life, our daily conversations in our homes. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The family, by God's intention from the beginning, has always been that it would be a haven where members of that relationship will be fed with his word every day. And that is one reason you turn to Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 where particularly there talking to fathers, talking to dads where you are being instructed we are being instructed to make sure that we train up our children. He says fathers don't provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. So yes fill your home with God's precepts, but also make sure you're prioritizing spiritual training. Make sure it's there. Because that's God's vision of your family. That's God's vision of your family and our family. But fourthly and finally, I think another thing that's important to see in the vision of God is that the family is a refuge where caregiving endures to the end. The family unit the family unit is where we all are to be learning to care for one another and learning to take care of one another. Time and age do not change one's marital pledge. When we enter the marriage covenant, when we choose ourselves a spouse and we make those vows, we are making a lifelong commitment to be there we're making a lifelong commitment to be there for each other. Helping each other until death severs. No matter, no matter how rough the road of life can be. You know, we're promising that we're going to be there. No matter how hard it gets. And so that means, no matter what the circumstances are, and circumstances change. What that means is that it's for better or for worse. It's for richer or for poorer. 
It's for in sickness and in health. And so we, we are to lovingly persevere to provide whatever care, whatever care is needed. We're to be there, persevering in that. In a sense, when, when we gave our vows to our spouse, our spouse, when we married that day, we vowed to be a caregiver. That's what we vowed to be. A caregiver to one another. And children, likewise, are to be growing up to be caregivers. And particularly one day caregivers of the parent that cared for them. Through the ages, God has always held children accountable to honoring their parents. You see it there early on in the Ten Commandments, where children are told to honor your father and mother. And it's the commandment that is with promise. And it is out of that, that uh, commandment that then we are instructed, likewise in Ephesians 6, children said, okay, obey your parents you know, in the Lord, honor them for this is right, quoting from Exodus chapter 20. So God has always expected children to honor their mother and their father along the way. And that honor is to be shown even, even, you know, when they're old. And one way we show that honor to our parents when they are growing older is by not despising their wisdom, but rather by listening to instruction. In Proverbs chapter 23, Proverbs 23 Verse 22 and 23. We'll just glance at that very quickly. And so often, you know, we perhaps are mindful of the, 20, uh, of the 23rd verse. But it's linked with the 22nd verse. Where it says, listen to your father who begot you. And do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth. Do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction understanding. Verse 23 is not a disconnect from verse 22. They go together. The father, he says, listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth. Do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. Now, it's not the only source of instruction. And it's not the only source of wisdom and understanding. But it is a source that God says that we need to value, that we need to treasure, and that we need to take to our heart. And so, yes, children are to honor their father and mother, not only when they're young, but also as we, as we get older. We are not to despise the wisdom that our parents have. And the wisdom that they have shared through us in earlier years. Let us close by turning over to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4, where we find that children and grandchildren are to learn to be caregivers so that they can provide the care that their aging parents will need one day. So there in chapter, four, chapter 5, verse 4, he says, If any widow has children or grandchildren, 
They must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. So you see, not only does God want there, want there to be oneness in the family, and he wants that oneness to bring godly offspring into this world, and he expects in that relationship to be a haven for God's word to feed and, and, and grow souls. But also says it is a refuge for all of us to give and receive the care as long as it's needed. To me, I like some of the other versions that express the same sentiment here. You know, you know, I'm, you know I use most of the time you know, New American Standard Version, but in the ESV version, the English Standard, the, the reading of verse 4 here says, Let them first learn to show godliness. Let them show godliness to their own household. You know, it, it originates with God. If I'm being godly, I'm going to show godliness to my family. And he goes on to say, and to make some return to their parents. The New Inter International Version you know, you know, puts a slightly different little uh, uh, twist to it when he says, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice. Sounds a lot like James 1. <laughs> yeah, they first learn to put religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and their grandparents. So what is God's vision for us? What's God's vision for our family? A vision that calls for oneness, that is maintained by love, an unselfish, sacrificial love every day. And out of that oneness, God's ideal is that there would be godly offspring who are sanctified by the relationship of their mother and their father. But in that home, in that relationship, God says, you are to feed on my word every day. Because without my word, you will not be able to stand and withstand what's coming in life. But then finally he says, take care of them. And do so as long as it's needed. Until the end. God wants us to see that building and sustaining right relationships life is all about. Life is not about personal gains. Life is not about personal achievements. Even though, you know, we endeavor to, to be successful in some way as individuals. And even as Christians, to, to be exemplary and successful as stewards of what the blessings that God gives us. But that's not what life is about. Life is about relationships. And God wants those relationships to be right. He wants them to be good. And particularly, he wants that to be for your family and for my family. But we can't do that without God. We need him to direct our steps every day. And if you're here today, you're not a Christian. You believe in God and you believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God, but you have not made that confession of faith before men, 
you've not repented of your sins and you've not been buried with him in baptism, then you're outside of Christ, still in your sins, lost, separated from God, without hope. That's not what God wants for you. God wants you to have a right relationship with him. And that begins by turning to Jesus, obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, but there is sin in your life that you've not corrected, if we can assist you in any way to pray with you, to pray for you, we invite you, encourage you. Make your wishes known as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.